I did not like Cloud Bones. I thought I was really going to love it. I didn't. Honestly. Which one didn't you like? Yeah, I Cloud Over the Bones of the Dead. Oh, also, I mean, it's such a good title. I mean, it's from Blake. It's a great title. But then it's it's also billed as like a absurdist noir. Oh. Who's Animals Might Be Killing People is the premise of the novel. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, I was mildly disappointed. <sighs> we just doing this? Sure. All right, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for coming out, everybody. Yeah, thanks for being here. <clears throat> Um, I'm Christian Tabordo, this is Dmitry Samarov, um, th- he's the reason you're here. Um, let me start by just saying, like, I, I knew of Dmitry and his work before I ever moved to Chicago. I moved to Chicago, like, uh, 2013, but I was kind of aware of his work before I ever moved here. Um, Why? Where? What's that? Why were you aware? <laughs> well, it's, it's, um, firstly because I follow the small presses very closely, right? Um, but then secondly, because there's, there are, there's like a certain, uh, I don't know, like a, a scene beneath the scene. Like, I mean, everybody knows Stuart Dybeck, right? He's wonderful. And Sasha Heeman, those are, you know, but, um, and now that includes like Rebecca Mackay and stuff like that. But there's like a whole like uh, Chicago literary and artistic world that is fairly accessible um, before you're even in Chicago, you know? So I was kind of aware, but also because, um, you know, we have a mutual friend that, talked constantly about two cafes that had closed before I was an even adult, like even an adult, like uh, Urbis Orbis and Jinx. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very weird because he never introduced me to the people that come, hung out at those places, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I knew you were one of the people that hung out at those places, but yeah. um, it turns out that most of my Chicago friends, like... Oh, spent time in those, <laughs> yeah, spent time in those coffee, coffee shops. shops. Yeah. So it's like, um, so it's, you know, I was kind of like ambiently aware beforehand but I've become like I've come to find you know to think of you as like a kind of Chicago institution like you know we were just looking at your drawings up here right Um, but there are a lot of places you can go in Chicago and like once you know Dimitri's work you'll see it everywhere you go you know what I mean Um, and that's going to be the end of the the sunshine of the ass stuff Um, (laughs) but I actually want to start with um, by asking you, because this is actually one thing we've never talked about. So Dimitri and I have known each other for a few years. I'm going to try to contextualize stuff, but we've known each other for a few years, but we've only talked seriously in the last year or two, right? Yeah. And we've mostly bitched about the publishing, publishing industry before that. Yeah. Um, but we've had several long conversations in the last few years. But one thing I never asked you was, as an East Coaster, well, you're Russian and then an East Coaster. Yeah. Um, I understand <laughs> it. Past the East Coast, yeah. <laughs> I understand why anybody would leave Boston. It's a terrible place. Um, but why did you choose Chicago? Oh, it was it was kind of random. I, I'd gotten into the School of the Art Institute, uh-huh. but so I started my the college career at Parsons in New York, mm-hmm. and I knew after like three weeks at Parsons that I couldn't stay at Parsons. Uh, so it's I, like I knew I needed to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like New York fine. New York was okay, but that school was just horrible. It wasn't what I wanted. Uh, they had this thing where in the freshman year you were stuck with all the same kids uh-huh. in all the classes. So it was like kindergarten, and I hated everybody in my class. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there was the, there were some teachers that had very antagonistic relationships with. I had a teacher tell me that I was unteachable. All right. You know, <laughs> which, you know... Yeah, yeah, I was like a, I was an Did asshole. you take it as a compliment? Or? I was an asshole 19-year-old, but uh, I like, you know, this is a middle-aged man, like, maybe you shouldn't be a teacher, uh, you know, that's really the point, but, uh, so I, I, knew, I knew I needed to get out, and I'd gotten into the Art Institute, and they agreed to take me in the middle of fresh, in the middle of freshman year, Okay. so I ended up in Chicago in the... January of 1990, and uh, I lived at actually at Roosevelt, where you teach at the what used to be called the Herman Crown Are Center, right. which we call the Herman Clown Center. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's where that high rise is now, but uh-huh. it used to be yeah, because the the School of the Art Institute didn't even have their own dorms when I went there. They've since grown, you know, uh-huh. exponentially. But yeah, that's how I ended up here, uh-huh. kind of randomly. That's the first time, but then you went back to Boston. So there's like an affirmation of Chicago as well, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. So I stayed here to graduate with a BFA. Uh-huh. I graduated in '93, moved back to Boston, started driving a cab. Uh, did that for about three years. Tried to go to grad school, dropped out of grad school after one semester. Uh-huh. Was done with school for good, and ended up here 
back here in 1997 because uh-huh. I've uh, been reminded uh, of why I hated Boston <laughs> in the three years, the second go around <clears throat> living there as, you know, as more or less a grown up uh-huh. or, or not at my parents' house, basically. Yeah. And yeah, I've been here ever since. All right. Now we're going to dive in. Um, so you've done four. Four books by my count, right? Four yeah. published books. Four right? published books, yeah. All right. The first two are about driving a cab. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm oversimplifying here, obviously. first two are about driving a cab. The third is about uh, your relationship to live music. Yeah. And then we have the the current one, which is Soviet Stance, which is about... Uh, well, I mean, the, on the back, it literally says how I became an artist, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, like, all of these deal with your, your relationship to art as well, right? Sure. But this is the first one where it's, there's no other subject matter. Like, I mean, there's your, your life, obviously, and there's a little more revelation about growing up. And yeah, I mean, there's like a that. bunch of immigration stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, you know, my... Me and my family moved from the Soviet Union in mm-hmm. 1978, so there's a bunch of references to that uh-huh. in, in this book. But other than that, it's about yeah how I got into yeah. So I want to ask: Do you think of this book, this particular book, as a departure from the previous books? Because like the first two, I could be like these are about driving a cab, yeah, and and art obviously, yeah. but but they're like there's a there's a kind of core there, mm-hmm. and then the third one is like every one is a vignette about music, mm-hmm. and then this one is. It, it seems in some ways more personal, um, but we'll talk about that in a little more depth later. But like, did you did you say okay now I'm going to reveal my secrets or did you? you know? <laughs> I don't know if I revealed any secrets. <laughs> you may have it. I'm not I'm not big on revelation that, uh-huh. that way. Uh, but uh, they, I mean the the thing about it is that that book is really the third book, not the fourth book. Uh-huh. It's the fourth to be published, okay. but third to be written basically uh-huh. that, that book was basically finished about five years ago okay. but I couldn't get anybody to publish it or an agent to take it or anything so uh-huh. I set it aside after struggling you know getting a bunch of rejections so in the meantime I put together the music book uh-huh. uh, which is another like of you know several different projects that I pitched to people or and wanted to do but somebody actually bid on it so uh-huh. so then I had to you know Produce a, produce something, so I put that together, and then, uh, and in the process of that, I sort of like taught myself how to like lay out a book and figured out stuff about the publishing industry, like who do you get to print your book? I had to do all that stuff, uh, you know, and it's through a small press, but I did about. I don't know, ninety-seven percent of the work uh-huh. for that book, and continue to. Uh-huh. So in that process, I realized that well, if I know how to make a book, <laughs> you know, appear out in the world, why don't I just put this thing out? Because it's been eating at me, uh-huh. the Soviet book. Okay. So then I opened it back up and uh, added some stuff. Had a couple more people read it, like you. Uh-huh. You were the last sort of editor on it, uh-huh. uh, and and put it out myself. So I'm not sure if if it's a departure. I mean, it was the next thing, next kind of big project I tackled after the cab books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, the cab books had obviously come from my life as well. But mm-hmm. you know, I look back and I guess I felt that it, it had been long enough, and there was enough distance for me to try to tackle like you know, childhood, okay. stuff like that. You know, the the. It's like, you know, I mean, you can think of it as a prequel to the cat books in a way. Okay, yeah, for sure. You, know? yeah. you guys are, maybe I should have contextualized this, the, the book we're speaking of is, covers basically the first 25 years of your life? From age 7 to age 27. Yeah. So it's... Um, 1977 was, to 1997. Yeah, and roughly. so Dimitri yeah. was born in the Soviet Union. Yeah. His family moved to the Boston area when he was 7, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, he ended up... Doing finishing school at the Art Institute right here, but then went back to Boston to drive a cab, or not to drive a cab, but and drove a cab, and then moved back here and drove a cab. Well, that's so. that's it's the natural job you get after yeah, finishing yeah, art school. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> become a cab driver. Uh-huh. You know, that's what happens. But see, I'm the perfect yeah. person to ask you these questions because I'm a fiction writer and my wife is a choreographer, so we were designed to do these things too. You know, to, to just make it up as you go along. Um, I do want to follow up though because you've you've mentioned to me 
the next book you're working on mm-hmm. is about your work as a bartender. Yes. Right? So will it revert to this more, much more specific and focused on a, you know, a well, the, the, the bar book definitely is a, a departure because it's a, a, it's going to be fiction. Oh, right. Well, sort of fiction, but okay. you know, some names will be changed, locations will be changed. Uh-huh. I mean, I still don't. I don't know how to make anything up, but um, <laughs> I need to not use the real people's names for various reasons. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be crazier than the other books, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I guess it depends on how crazy you think <laughs> Or you just need to keep are. your job. Is <laughs> Something, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I still work in a bar. Yeah. <laughs> so. But I do want to, like, going back to your work over, you know, the last month or so, um, what I did realize is that if I, like, I, I mean, I, obviously it was almost unfair of me to sum up the books in the way that I just did, but at the same time, this is kind of the way they're pitched, but there's a kind of overlap that's interesting to me. Obviously, every one of them is obsessed with visuals, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. visual arts and, and how to turn life experience, whether it be driving a cab or going to a live show, into the energy, like, transform that energy into a picture, mm-hmm. right? Um, and those kind of things... Uh, flow through the entire sequence, but I also, I mean, there's a guy named Richard who just gets mentioned in several of the books. He's he's your friend Dan's divorced father. Yes. And he's the guy that turns you on to the Velvet Underground. And yeah, he, he made me and, and his son these mixta- these amazing mixtapes. Uh-huh. Like, and it would just say, you know, the Velvet Underground or uh-huh. Captain Beefheart, uh-huh. you know, and yeah, and I, I'd get these tapes in like sixth or seventh grade, and I had to figure out what the hell that was in comparison to what was on the radio, which was like, you know, Def Leppard uh-huh. or, you know, whatever, the Eurythmics, uh, whatever it was, Bruce Springsteen. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was, it was mind-blowing. Yeah. He was this guy, he was a Vietnam vet, he was a big deadhead, and like he, yeah, he opened up this whole world, huh. this other world, which was not available to like an immigrant kid mm-hmm. in the 80s, you know, that it just wasn't. I don't know. I wouldn't have known about any of that stuff otherwise. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, I was obviously. If, if as you say, I've mentioned, I keep mentioning him, it must have been important. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little <laughs> sneaky here because the thing is, Dimitri really doesn't. It's very strange. There's, there's this feeling that you get after finishing one of his books that you've just spent time with somebody that you like very much and that you know, but you realize that he hasn't revealed almost anything about his life. Like it's, like I just said, Dimitri and I have had a bunch of conversations together. Um, I've known him technically for years, you know what I mean? Um, and I, I feel like I know you from your books for the most part, but like, there'll be these things where you'll like toss off. Like I was living with so-and-so at the time and I'm like, wait, some of that overlaps with when I knew him and I didn't know he like had a living partner or was married or ex, you know what I mean? Or like, and these things. So it's, it's really interesting how you keep things close to your best and that's kind of where we're going to go. But like, uh, like I think, um, like I think one of the questions that I have about all of that is, so Richard shows up a couple of times, and um, it's not just that he turns you on to really good music, right? It is good music, but like the stuff that he, you know, that you mentioned him turning on to is good, but it also, it's uh, music that's outside of the mainstream. Yeah. And one of the things that goes through all of your books, and just basically every conversation I've ever had with, with you, is that you kind of identify as somebody who sits outside of the mainstream. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm wondering is like, Obviously, that's a theme of, of all of your relationship to art and all of your work and stuff like that. But like, how how do you is so the fact that you separated that into cabbie and drawing and music and stuff like that is it um, was it a decision or was it just an accident? No, not a, it's it's never been a decision. Uh-huh. Like you know, I I, th- I, th- I think I mean I can trace it back to you know immigration again. Mm-hmm. So like you start out an outsider, mm-hmm. that's that's the role you know. You see like this is like whatever society or, and then and then you you don't even speak the same language. Mm-hmm. So that that started me off on the stance of being outside of things, and it turned out uh, to be valuable and useful for for art. It's uh-huh. it, it's a good thing. You know, as an artist, to have some distance. Mm-hmm. It's it's not always a good thing as a person to have that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Lots of problems in my life because of that. But but for art, it's great. You know. <laughs> but yeah, it's not it's not like. Um, I guess it's a, it's it's sort of like the way I am. But it's not uh, conscious. Like 
well, this is popular, so I'm going to like the opposite well, thing. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh -huh. I, you know, I try to like popular stuff sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I just it rarely happens. I wish it happened more. There's a there's it's a not part my fault. The most but recent book where he condemns Madonna. <laughs> but, that, but that was like a young that was that was like a, that was like a high school me thing. Uh -huh. Yeah, be, but that was an argument with a coworker in a movie theater who liked Madonna for ironic reason. Uh -huh. He he is more of like a pretentious artist. Guy. <laughs> I hear this you. is a guy that he still plays music. He made his own instruments out of scrap metal. Uh -huh. His his band started as an art project. He he is tone deaf. <laughs> he started this band, you know, to like go out and inflict these noises onto the <laughs> onto the public but uh -huh. he 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 would take these uh you know uh kept, you know these positions uh -huh. to be provocative you yeah, know right. yeah so right. in in that in that case i think i was i was more of like the safe obvious right. <laughs> point of view in that but if case. if i was to put on the opening bars of like the prayer right now we would all be moved right <laughs> as what and you would too uh sure <laughs> You kind of walked us into the next question. Okay. Um, and I had to quote here because this is an actual quote. You describe yourself in the first line of Soviet stamps as a guy who stayed on the sidelines and watched others without participating. Mm. And you immediately go into saying this kind of like fuels your drive to create, right? Like it, if you're going to observe, you your way of participating is to make art, mm -hmm. right? Sure. Um, and then you, you then connect that to be like, this, is, this saved my life. Um, the opening pages of this book are kind of harrowing. He's like, animals are better at doing nothing than we are. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we shouldn't be alive if we don't have a reason to be alive kind of stuff. Um, and it was like, that, that was actually a big difference from your other books for me, where you just you kind of lay out this thesis early on. You know what I mean? Um, saying, like, my reason to keep existing is making this Sure, stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I do want to ask, because there's, there's this strain that runs through the entire book where, in a very complicated way, you think about whether... Um, how true it is that that the move itself, the the emigrating, because he emigrated at seven years old, which is um, this weird time in a child's life, right? Because you're you're um, kind of developing. You're becoming a person. Yeah, yeah. You're developing yeah. an individual. You're not quite. Yeah, yeah, who you're going to be. You're uh -huh. pretty close, but you're not quite there yet. Yeah, I think. I mean, but, different. Oh, different, go ahead. different people vary, but yeah, yeah. It's an unformed or half formed state uh -huh. and like and right at that moment like my whole context was ripped out for me you know, like everything disappeared mm -hmm. yeah so yeah and that just informs i mean what you're asking before like what inspired that book is, is to try to understand that mm -hmm. you know and i don't know that i really understand it but it's it's like a key aspect of everything i am uh -huh. is that yeah yeah where I'm about to be an asshole because with you, and I'm not going to disagree with you I'm going to like follow up on this because in your writing like I, I, I do love and like I want to talk a little more, bit more about this like artistic strategy of not really revealing too much you know what I mean mm -hmm. um, but like it's a it's a provocative which is idea. really interesting to me. you're you're actually the one that's been like you, you've mentioned this over and over in conversations how little I reveals which has made me try to think about that and I don't know where I've ended up but it's you who's noticed it more than anyone else. <laughs> well it's funny because I mean like I've, I've seen Dimitri won't read in public this is this is why he does these things um, but uh, I saw the, the release of his last book Tim Kinsella was interviewing him and Tim Kinsella was actually driving at this he just wouldn't say it explicitly you know what I mean? it was like and it was funny because you were like this stonewall it was great um, but it's like I do want to I do want to ask because you also complicate it you're like when you say uh, this this move probably has something to do with my feeling like an outsider. I think that that makes perfect sense, and I think from a particularly from a novelistic standpoint, like mm -hmm. if there's writers in the room, you know this is a move that you can make, like a big, big move at the age of seven can affect a whole life. You know what I mean? But it's a, it's a good plot point for a novel. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I do want to know, like, I mean, like you also mentioned these things that like you talk about interviewing your parents and things mm -hmm. like that, and they. Um, Obviously, you, you mentioned explicitly that they have a kind of skewed view of your childhood because they're really talking about their own parenting rather than sure. your, yeah. you know, your personality. And so I wonder, like, have you ever thought about, like, can you imagine a different life? Like, if you didn't leave the Soviet Union, would you actually be, like, would you have been, like, a jock? It's doubtful, yeah. It's very doubtful, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've had conversations about that with my parents. It's uh -huh. been, like, and, yeah. 
they, yeah, they think they, they probably, you know, saved me from a much worse life there. Uh-huh. And they're probably right, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not good at imagining these kind of like alternate histories, counterfactual kind of uh-huh. worlds. I mean, the other thing like, I, I wanted to mention earlier is that, like, you were talking about how all the books kind of are going for this kind of visual thing. And it's, mm-hmm. it's because what I've been most of my life as an artist and not mm-hmm. a writer, the writing came later. Mm-hmm. The writing came because of driving a cab. Uh-huh. Like, it kind of forced me to write. But uh, that's why everything is kind of centered around, around these visuals. It's also, you know, like, I wouldn't know that... I wouldn't know because I'd never took a, a writing class that, you know, like, you know, immigration at seven would probably be a good plot for <laughs> a novel, you know? <laughs> it's very, very weird how every one of your ends walks me into my next question, because we didn't plan this, by the way. I haven't we, talked to Dimitri in a month. We, we rehearsed it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there's my, yeah. my next question. I'm going to just read the actual writing that I wrote. Like, I'd rather not do that, but but that's the thing. is like, do Dimitri it. just walked us into this. And my, my next question is, there's a painterly quality to your writing, a tension between expressionism and impressionism that's very clear in your pictures. Hard, blunt lines that often merely hint at more abstract concepts or shapes. This is the way I would describe the pictures that you make. Oh, you know what I mean? the artwork, yeah. Um, but I also think that Soviet stamps might ironically, uh, given that it, the explicit the image or art, you know what I mean, um, it might be your most writerly book. Hmm. And I'm thinking of the line you use about never going back home because it no longer exists. Hmm. Right? Um, he has this very powerful line early on he was talking about immigrating as a seven year old which would be uh, I want to use traumatic really really colloquially not psychologically but it would be like a major change in your life right and um, then we get middle aged Dimitri telling us explicitly that whenever anybody asks this is a man who spent the first seven years of his life in the Soviet Union Moscow yeah and who also you believe, and I, I'm not contradicting you here, but you, you tend to think that this was a major, the, the fulcrum of your life. Mm-hmm. And yet, when you, when asked whether you would ever go back, your response is it doesn't exist anymore, right? Right. And it's accurate rhetorically, which is a writerly gesture, right? Like, Soviet Union no longer exists. Mm-hmm. But, at the same time, you're talking about Google image searching the house you grew up in. Sure. So as a painter... It still exists, but as a writer, it doesn't exist. Does that make sense? Uh, I don't know if I split it that way. Uh-huh. I, I, I needed, you know, I, I Google image searched the house because I wanted to see if it would jog any memory, mm-hmm. you know, because of writing this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it didn't. Like, it huh. just didn't remind me of anything. And obviously, like, the, sto- the there's there are stores on the ground floor of the building that mm-hmm. weren't there when, when we were there, but it did not jog anything. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I also think that yeah, saying that the place doesn't exist is that it, it's a very different country than it was. Sure. So geogra- obviously geographically, you know, I could go to that spot now, but mm-hmm. I don't think I would get anything out of it. Mm-hmm. I don't see any reason to do it. Right. I mean, the book is sort of like a way of doing that. Anyway, uh-huh. But to actually go there, no, I, I don't see any point in it. I don't know. Nice. Yeah, I'm not like questioning your decision not to do it. I'm just thinking like visually it might actually be interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like from a from a philosophical perspective, yes, you would be going to an absolutely different place. At the same time, I mean you moved back here your first neighborhood after college, after moving back from Boston was Wicker Park, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. That shit doesn't exist either anymore. No. no. <laughs> when I moved there it was the end of it. It was uh, the beginning of the end. I moved back in ninety seven and it was right when it was starting to turn uh-huh. into into what it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't exist, that's for sure. And I remember having sort of co- arguments with my folks about moving back to Chicago from Boston them saying that you can't go back, you know? Uh-huh. Like, you can't recapture. They thought I was trying to recapture some sort of, mm-hmm. like, art school thing. Mm-hmm. But I really wasn't, because when I was in art school, I, I lived with a woman. We were basically married. Mm-hmm. I had this stable home life. It was a very different life than what I was moving to in 1997, mm-hmm. which was, uh, like, a situation with, with roommates with no job lined up. It was like, I, I just needed to get the fuck out of Boston. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing well. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was a start over. It was just 
that Chicago was the only place I could think of that I liked that I thought maybe I'd like living. I'd, it, was, it was kind of a shot in the dark. Uh -huh. Not quite like the one my parents took moving from, you know, the Soviet Union to America, but, you know, it was my version of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. What are the what are the pluses? The reset. Of, I mean, it's been twenty. Uh, it's been all over twenty years now. Yeah. What are the what keeps you in Chicago? Hmm. It's it's still affordable. Uh -huh. uh, it's it's a really interesting city to look at, and it's a city that changes all the time. Like I've lived, I haven't stayed in the same neighborhood. I've lived in. See four or five diff very very different neighborhoods, mm -hmm. and each time is like sort of like starting over. Mm -hmm. Each each neighborhood is like this little town or like little village inside of a larger village, you know. Yeah, so you can reinvent yourself here and mm -hmm. start over and start over, and it, it it's as close to a feeling of home as I've had anywhere. Is is this city, mm -hmm. and I've just put in a lot of time and effort. So. If you, you know, like you introduced me as like a Chicago institution, I get there is definitely an identification of like my work and a lot of what I do with the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, although like yeah. the Soviet stamps is like the the least Chicago centric mm -hmm. book I have because mm -hmm. there's only a, a couple of years that take mm -hmm. place in Chicago really. But yeah, no, I mean you're you're yeah, it's seeped in for sure. Yeah, yeah, your work looks like Chicago to me in a way that, that that's I, cool. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll take that as well. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, all right, uh, I'm gonna talk about writing now. Uh, so in, in one of the cab memoirs, and you said this again tonight, in one of the cab memoirs you wrote that you never planned on being a writer, mm -hmm. right? And this is not gonna be a gotcha thing, but it's kind of be a, gonna be a gotcha thing. Because in Soviet stamps, it's right there at the age of eight, like your first composition assignment in second grade in the U.S. in Boston. You're like, if I, I'll be a painter and or a writer. No, that's the fourth, <laughs> fourth grade autobiography. Uh, yeah, 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 I yeah. predicted that I'd be an artist and writer. Uh -huh. But when I went back, I, I hadn't read that, obviously, for many years. Mm -hmm. So I actually performed that, that piece as like on a stage as part of this comedy show called Mortified that my ex-girlfriend ran. Okay. <laughs> and... Yeah, uh, I was very shocked to find out at 40-something that, like, <laughs> like, at 10 years old, I predicted that I'd be a writer. Huh. Because, like I said, aside from homework assignments, I, I didn't do a piece of writing on my own until I was about 30, which was when I started making a zine about being a cab driver. Uh -huh. So my first attempt at writing. Yeah. That starts to answer my follow-up, which is... Um, so in Russian stamps, also, there's you kind of... Um, there's Dimitri and I overlap a little tiny bit. He's a little older than me, and we're both from the East Coast. So there's there are these places that we're in where we interlap, right? Mm -hmm. Or overlap. I'm sorry. And then you have in Boston, you're working at the movie theater, and it's a it's a independent theater, and all the cool kids work there. And there's this one of the rare photographs in the book. It's not a drawing. Has a it's like a fan and a copy of Celine, right? Oh, definitely um, installment. Yeah, <laughs> what, what I read between selling tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In high school. Yeah. Um, and there's like there's this kind of there's a there's a whole if you if you take your work as a whole, I can see that you did the there's a kind of a, the precocious adolescent late 20th century male kind of syllabus is in there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you read shit like Celine or yeah. Bukowski or whatever, yeah, like yeah. all this like. Asshole writer yeah. writing, yeah, and it's something like that's totally appropriate for a teenage boy in Boston in yeah. the eighties. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's like the obviously you had been reading all along. Yeah, I mean? and so my question that I'm leading to is basically: um, did, is there a distinction that you make between when you were just reading to supply yourself with experience or fun, and when you started thinking about being a writer or actually doing books? Does that make sense? Well, I, uh, I didn't, yeah, uh, read specifically for writing until really pretty recently. Yeah. Uh, because, because yeah, I mean, it was probably halfway through the second cab book until I was forced to admit to myself that I'm actually a writer. Okay. You know? Uh-huh. Uh, even like the publication of a book didn't quite do that. Like, I, I just figured it was like this weird hobby because I had a funny job that, you know, it was like a gimmick, you uh -huh. know? Uh, 
But I was, I've always read a lot because I'm the son of a, a, of a man who's like the most voracious reader uh -huh. I've ever met, my father, right, you know. Right, right. You also mentioned Pushkin in that fourth grade assignment. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'll, yeah. The, the books were like you know, the, the house was always filled with books. It was always, yeah. I, I always had a book going. I've had mm -hmm. a book going my whole life. You know, mm -hmm. at least one. Yeah. Uh, so it was ever present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's 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 not it's not really that surprising that eventually I'd, I'd go into it. Although you know, like my father, who I always thought think probably harbored some sort of literary ambitions that were never fulfilled because of life circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Soviet stamps sort of started as, uh, it, it was, uh, I started thinking about it around the time that he was retiring. He was a mathematician. He, he taught, and I was trying to get him to write something uh -huh. like about his life, and he just wouldn't do it. Huh. And I kept kind of prodding him and prodding him, and that kind of led me into it's like, well, all right, I'll write about it then, you know, huh. what I know of it, you know. But Is that out of like a like a feeling like he was unable to do it, or like, or that he had given up, or I, I mean, I I don't know that he ever made that many serious efforts at uh -huh. it, but I think uh, you know by by the you know. By the time he was whatever sixty five or so, I think it was just too daunting. He just it's it's a hard thing to start up. Uh -huh. uh, there are people that do it, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Lisa, many of you read Henri Michaud, the French writer? Have you read him? Mm -mm. It's actually really interesting. Whenever you talk about the act of drawing in your writing, mm -hmm. I think of Michaud. Because like Michaud wrote, he was one of the very few writers that I can think of off the top of my head that incorporated drawings into almost everything he wrote. Um, and he was maybe better known as a artist in the early 20th century, but he would, it's funny because I what think... Time, it, what time period is Like, I think, I, I would start in the 20s, in the, like 20, in the uh, 1920s. Um, in France? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he, the way you do, like the way I, when I look at your work, I see expressionism, mm -hmm hits me over the head like mm -hmm. I'm like these are what the outlines like the hard lines look like to me then mm -hmm. the kind of abstraction hints at impressionism in some interesting ways but like but the way you describe drawing like drawing lines without knowing where you're going mm -hmm. it's kind of uh, evokes Michaud's drawings to me and he, he always, always included drawings in his stuff um, on the craft level how do you put a, put a book together none of them are none of them are chronological right no, I mean, you know, the Soviet stance is more or less chronological, uh -huh. not not strictly, uh -huh. you know, like there's there's parts that go back, you know, kind of yo-yo back and forth, but I, th I think they're they're mostly chronological. Mm -hmm. uh, I, yeah, I've never, I, I've yet to be able to conceive of like, I do an outline or like figure out an arc or whatever, like the shape of like the way like a novel is put together, mm -hmm. or I imagine it's put together. But they're all made up of little little pieces that need, that, that need to be then like stitched together somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. There's there's usually I think in most of the books there are, uh, from from chapter to chapter there are like at least thematic or there there is a way that like one chapter leads to the other uh -huh. that makes sense to me at least mm -hmm. uh, that I don't know that I'd be able to exactly uh, spell out. Okay. Yeah. So you're not thinking in uh, painterly terms when you compile the books. It's, it's not like these are the eras of my life, or this is the here are the still lives and here are the portraits or anything mm, like that. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like the the second cab book is is kind of uh, it's uh, the the chapters are grouped thematically uh -huh. into like the kinds of cab rides. Mm -hmm. like, like good rides, bad rides, holidays, you know, so it's kind of more thematic, uh -huh. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, no, uh, I, I use more, I like the the pictures I use as more as prompts or jumping off points, okay. uh, and I always need them. I can't imagine putting together a book without the artwork in it, you know. Like to me, it's not like a book without the pictures, uh -huh. just I guess that's weird, but yeah, that. I can't imagine writing one without having art in it. Mm -hmm. It's just for those of you who haven't read one of his books, it's a, it's a very it's an it's a weird experience. It's very it's very meditative, despite the fact that there's a lot of 
there's a point where you say you believe in nothing. Like, I'm not sure that you, you know, <laughs> like, he, like, he freaks out a skinhead in France by telling him that he believes in nothing. Yeah. Um, but it's, but, but to, to me, they feel very calming and meditative. And there's this, like, there is this motion, but it's almost like a swimming motion. It's because you do loop back in some ways and then you move forward again and stuff like that. But like, I mean, the Russian stamps, or the Soviet stamps, Soviet. I'm sorry. Uh, you keep trying to change that country. I, I know. <laughs> um, it does exist. Um, but, um, they, 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 they. I mean, there's a. When I envision the the stamp book that you describe, I mm -hmm. I see a kind of cubist portrait. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. The way the book is compiled, I can see that even though it does continue to move forward. You know yeah. what I mean? But um, well, in a very real way, that like I have that book. Uh, uh, I have two two of them. I saved the stamp collections, and they. Yeah, they they help prompt they help with the writing. Uh -huh. The fact that I had this this weird relic from my childhood, you know, uh -huh. that kind of started me off on doing figuring out what art is and came from this other country that I'm from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so much of it is it's like to totally instinctive though. Uh -huh. It's just by doing uh, and because I don't know any better because uh -huh. nobody taught me writer rules. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know them. I just don't. It's, it's, all right. it's probably too late uh, to, to do it correctly. I don't know. Yeah, after your so, first time, you don't need to. You're talking, <laughs> talking to a, a professor of, yeah. of writing, you know. Yeah. But it's weird because there are <laughs> students in the room, but none of them have ever worked with me. So there are no writer rule students. Yeah, Go do well, what they, you want. should. Uh, <laughs> so the, the, the last couple of questions I have are about uh, more like career perspective. You know what I mean? Mm. So you're in like a kind of unique position because, uh, particularly with Soviet stamps, um, uh, there's this consistent positioning yourself outside of the art world, mm -hmm. right? Um, Dimitri arrives in, in Chicago for the Art Institute and finds the, the curriculum of the Art Institute liberating because the Art Institute doesn't have this kind of like rigid, you must do that, you must draw this cone and then you... Yeah, you don't have to have a major, you don't right. have, yeah, you, they encouraged, you know, experimentation outside of whatever your preferred medium, like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's free for all. Yeah. But then at the same time, because you want to do figurative art, like yeah. representative art, you were unfashionable at the time, right? Sure. Um, and I guess a question that I would ask, because I'm, like, I'm like, we're talking about a guy that is, has lived a, a decent life and, and is kind of, you, you know, you have access to some serious cultural figures and like you, like there are people that like you, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you're, you're not Henry Darger, you know what I mean? It's no. like... Um, and no, we all I'm not like a Darker now, but I'm he not died a hermit or a shut in. Yeah, I'm, uh, not, I'm not an outsider. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, what I would ask is like, uh, given the fact that you actually technically could access these things, you know what I mean? Like, is there a way? Do you, is what, there a the art? You mean the art world? The art world, if you wanted to, you know what I mean? I don't know about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What would, I guess I, my, my I, I've, had some, I've, had, I've had some run-ins with the art world. Yeah, <laughs> they don't like me, and I don't like them. It's like a mutual whatever. So you've never so that that that's my first part of the question. Unadver you've never had a chance to actually sell out, as as we put it when I was a kid. Like you've never. Had not really. Yeah. I don't. I don't think so. Not yeah. not not in a substantive way. Is, the, is there a is there a world <laughs> in which you could imagine selling out, and what would it look like? N not no. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm sort of ready to yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I mean like so last year at the beginning of last year I had a really bad experience at a at a gallery mm -hmm. uh, where dealing with a, a man who, uh, in addition to not being able to sell art, had a an asshole attitude towards his, his artists. You know, uh -huh. which led me to slash all the prices on my art like to like next to nothing and practically start giving it away. And I got rid of a bunch of art that way, and it feels fine. Uh -huh. Yeah, because the bottom line is I want to keep making new stuff. I don't need to hoard this stuff until some institution decides that it merits X amount of money. So mm -hmm. I'd rather have $100 today than $1,000 in 10 years or 20 years. Uh -huh. it's, that's not useful to me. Uh -huh. So that's where I'm at with the art world. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, that's cool. But yeah, <laughs> that said, if, if some gallery wants to come and take all the fucking art away... I, they can write me a check and write today. So the way it would look is like as long as it's you don't have to make any new art or do any public appearances, if they want to pay you a million dollars, you'll take it. I'll, yeah, <laughs> yeah, take it all away. Yeah. 
So I'm gonna. This is this is gonna be a little more abstract, but like, I, so you entered you entered the academy as an art student right mm -hmm. in the late '80s, which is to me a time that art is just admitting that it's now just a uh, commodity, like a, it's a it's an investment opportunity for very very rich people. You know what I mean? And obviously, it's we one, one of the periods where, I mean, uh, that's a repeat. Yeah, of thing course. I mean, like, I mean, that's, it goes going back to the Renaissance, yeah. you know what I mean? Like the patronage age and whatnot. But, like, there's 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 this kind of. You, yeah, you the god to... of that art is like Andy Warhol, the, mm -hmm. the god of that art, you know, Julian Schnabel, mm -hmm. like all the 80s artists. Yeah. Who are, you know, became absurdly successful and wealthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. In, in, a, in one of the art bubbles, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. And you loved it. I wanted to be just like. Them. No, just. <laughs> but. <laughs> But I'm saying, so you, you enter at this period, and then yeah. you're like, eh, no. What I'm, what I'm positing here is that the literary world is at least a generation behind the art world, right? Like, so last that's decade, oh. we had, we finally got around to con conceptual art in the literary world. You know what I mean? Like, like who, who would uh, you? Kenny Goldsmith and Vanessa Place and stuff like that. Oh, the people that just use, uh, stitch together other people's yeah, art. Yeah, yeah. Call it, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But, okay. like, we're, we're a little behind that, you know? But I also think it's funny that a generation after moving into the art world and rejecting it as a world, like or an industry, you then moved into literature just as it's starting to crumble in a weird neoliberal. So way. you're saying you have a great timing? Yeah. <laughs> There's one. That's one way of looking at it. But another way of looking at it is like, is it possible you're just you're like that you're a contrarian? You know what I mean? That that you. No, no. <laughs> For real, that you thrive in like in this environment of like. I think it's it's. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I'll, I'll let other people judge that, but <laughs> I, you know, I, I make the stuff the way I know how to make it. Mm. it. It's not. I don't start out with an idea like the the kind of art I was trying to make in art school, which I continue to try to make today, is just that's what I was able. You know, mm -hmm. I instinctively did that, like working from life, mm -hmm. you know, like working from looking, you know, which is my primary mode of making art. And uh, unfortunately for me, you know, like, you know, I arrived a hundred years late, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> but I, I had no control over that and it wasn't popular. I don't mm -hmm. know, like it, it's an interesting thought experiment if, you know, I, I went to art school and that was, that was the art that was in, mm -hmm. you know. Where would I be? I'd be somewhere else, I guess, mm -hmm. or maybe not. You know, maybe I'd start doing performance art. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm wondering. Like, I was, if, like Toulouse Little Trek was. I, I will say, yeah. When when I was in art school like... in the early '90s at the Art Institute, uh -huh. like the thing that made the most sense to me is just like you know, I almost wanted to wear like a three-piece business suit to, uh -huh. to school, <laughs> just just because to be square would be like the coolest thing. <laughs> Right, so, <laughs> yeah. Which leads me to my final <laughs> abstract question. I have one really quick question after this, but my final like abstraction is everything I've just said for the last few questions has, has made Dimitri sound very punk rock, and I think <laughs> Dimitri is kind of punk rock. I mean, he grew up in the like era. Punk, yeah, you're, yeah, you're punk, dude. Um, but the thing is, is Thanks, like it's, that's totally appropriate for like an, for an adolescent. You know what I mean? But it ages poorly. No, 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 no. I'm going somewhere with this. It ages poorly. You know what I mean? It's like if Dimitri was hollering at me for asking him questions or spitting on me, it would not be a pretty event for me, at least. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but you have managed to keep the principles that you had mm -hmm. in those punk times. Mm. Um, Without being a wild, massive success, you're not Julian Schnabel, you know what I mean? No. Um, and Julian Schnabel is also not punk, you know? No. Um, but, you know, you're, you've, you've managed to keep the principles without being a 17-year-old asshole. And there's a certain grace to that. I think, I, like, honestly, I would describe no, you as one of the more Become a 49-year-old asshole. Well, yeah, no, no, but I mean, I, I, mean, certain, I mean, there's biology to that, you know, yeah. I mean, you just don't have the, the energy to fight all the time. But, like, I, I, in the time I've known you, I've found you one of the more thoughtful, reliable, uh, generous people that I know. Well, right back at you. <laughs> well, thanks. But how do you balance these things? How do you balance the, I will not buy into X, Y, and Z with... And I'm going to keep doing what I do, but I'm also a nice person. And, you know, I just know, I don't know how to fucking do that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't like, I don't know how to follow the recipe uh -huh. for whatever the success is. It, you know, life would be a little easier. Uh -huh. uh, I don't, 
I, I do these things the way I do them. Like, you know, now, now like, my, my book, quote-unquote, career is so backwards. Like, the first book was put out by a university press, mm-hmm. like, the most prestigious university press, basically, UFC press. And ever since then, like, it first, the, the second book was, like, from an indie publisher run by a crook. <laughs> and and the, the third book was, like, basically, like, a micro-indie, and the mm-hmm. fourth is self-published. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm, I'm like, regressing or something. <laughs> But on the flip side, I, I have absolute creative control over these last two books, mm-hmm. and that means something to me. You know, when, and if I know, if I, if I manage expectations, uh, then you can you can put out something that you can at least live with. You mm-hmm. know, uh, and that's all I'm striving for. You know, if, if I can put out something that's not completely embarrassing and a total failure on every level, then I can go on to the next thing. That's that's all I'm hoping for. Right. Oh. I have, this is going to be totally anticlimactic because that was a beautiful answer. <laughs> at the end, at the end of music to my eyes. Yeah, the previous book. Mm-hmm. Dimitri has this weird road trip that he goes on to see a band. He drives overnight to see. Was it? Uh, is it the John Hodgman trip or at the end of the book? There's a few trips. Uh, which so what? What, what happened? You you also go to IKEA. Oh no, that that was Cheater Slicks oh, in, in Columbus. Slicks. Right. Yeah, so I go to yeah. And there's this weird thing, like this is what I'm talking about, not revealing anything in your writing, right? Mm-hmm. Dimitri talks in the thing about how he's been researching a particular bed frame from Ikea. Not a bed frame, picture frame. Oh, it was a picture frame. Yeah. I, I misread it, because you bought 10 of them. I didn't buy 10, I bought 50. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were all out, and I kept checking the Chicago stores, yeah. and I kept being out, and the reason was I needed 50 identical frames, and Ikea is the cheapest non like sort of almost acceptable looking frame you can find you can see them the, the pictures in the store uh-huh. is, are the, the same ikea frame right. but i used them because i had a show of coming up of cta drawings <laughs> and i needed 50 frames and that costs a lot of money i see yeah all right yeah i so must have read that wrong because you said frames i think and i was not oh. thinking and i was like no no picture IKEA, frame. bed frames you know what yeah. I mean? but, <laughs> And he buys 50 of them, and like, even the, the store was confused, right? They were like, what are you going to do with all these? Yeah, yeah, they didn't know. What, yeah, I, I was trying to get, a, get them to give me a volume discount. They wouldn't do that. But, but then, yet yeah, ends with him loading them into the house, but he doesn't tell what he's doing with them. And then, yeah, I would go on to haul, like, 20, 30 boxes of books up the same three flights of stairs. <laughs> Uh, which is, yeah, the, the glamorous life of a, a writer in 20-whatever, the late 20-teens or whatever. And scene. Uh, <laughs> do any of you have any questions? Yeah. Anyone? Hi. Um, so I saw your band camp, and I thought it was rad as hell. Like, I just wanted to ask you, with audio and your visual work and putting it all together like that just what made you decide to do that uh, that was yeah so so uh, what, what's your name sam sorry so, yeah so sam was talking about it so i have this band camp where i i did readings with with uh, some friends of mine playing music in the back in the background i it, it was an attempt back when i was still doing book or read out loud readings to make it a little more manageable to, to fill in the gaps and the spaces. It's just much better if there's music. It's much easier. You know, it's it's not just you and your your own awful voice and, and silences. And, uh, so that was that. And I have these friends that are really great musicians. You know, so it was a weird experiment. It was kind of like you know, like what the the Beats used to do. You know, the bongo drums. You know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how sex successful it was, but I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's like a major part of you know, like what I do. Uh, yeah. Anyone else? I do. I. I <laughs> those IKEA frames. Yeah. They have glass in them. Yes. You can't get glass in them. They there. changed. They changed. They used to we come with glass. Right those are special frames. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm sure a lot of them broke in those boxes, so they realized that putting Flexi in there was just more cost-effective. Yeah, actually, the second batch I got, I had to find a company that just did the glass. Oh, really? There's a company, I I forget where they're from, but it's 
It's very cheap. They'll 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 ship you like fifty pieces of picture oh, glass. Wow. Yeah. Great. Yeah. You bought the last fifty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vintage. Yeah. <laughs> totally anonymous white, you know, particle board frames, but yeah. Already. Yeah. Back to a, an era, bygone era. You're the guy that caused all the fights at IKEA. I take all the frames. <laughs> else? Yeah. Uh, so being a young boy coming to America and then you're finding like your footing and doing stuff in, uh, from Boston and then coming to Chicago, uh, was there any time that you thought maybe, uh, I mean obviously like your life is paying out like this way so you decided to stay here in Chicago. Uh-huh. Did you ever think, and, and thinking about going back to Russia, it's like well there's nothing for me there. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about maybe like when you were younger, thinking about going back to like Europe, like maybe trying something new in Europe, like not like being a cab driver in Europe, but yeah. when you were younger, like maybe I'll try to like, live in Europe. Maybe I'll like try like Italy or Turkey or something, and like maybe be an artist. There. I guess I, I had no idea how you would do that. I mean, financially, like what? How do you finance that? I I don't think. I mean, my my parents are super supportive and they they've helped a lot over the years, but I I don't know if they float like. <laughs> like a life in Europe for me, you know, like, so how do you make, how, how do you do that? I don't, I don't know how people do that. I don't have. Well, I think like that for you, he, I, a lot of people probably don't know this, but he just hustles to sell his art and his books here in Chicago. Like he, we always call Dimitri the hardest working artist in <laughs> because he really hustles and I feel like people don't know how much behind the scenes work you do yeah. to get your work out. Like it's a Well, there ain't life. anybody else doing it. I mean, yeah, I know. nobody will. I know, I know. I found that out the hard way over and over. And it's in, I in publishing always, and in, in art. It's yeah, like, I have a lot of respect for it because yeah. Ike's not ish you would be. You don't want artists to have to do that job because it's a completely different job. No, it fucking sucks. You know? I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm really not good at it. I, I have to force myself to do it. But like you've really built, like I feel like <laughs> even to move to another city in America would be really hard because I think you've built up so many connections and so many people know you from all the work that you're constantly putting out here, the community right. that you've created. So. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah, pr- prior to that, I wouldn't even know, like to start over in a new city Yeah. to, to do all that stuff, you know. So like, you know, I got out of art school and I started driving a cab in Boston, and that kind of taught me, you know, I learned that city that way, in a way I didn't know it, and then I relearned Chicago, doing various jobs, and driving a cab, too, here, so those are, like, you know, all the jobs I've ever had were service industry jobs, still, I've never, never had a salary job, I've never had a job with benefits, you know, it's always, like, this means to an end to keep, keep making the art, uh, but yeah, I can't, yeah, just to start, in some other some other country and also like in the back of my head like it's like moving and traveling is how I always think of as some sort of banishment or punishment which goes back to immigration you know yeah yeah anything else anyone else good thanks everybody oh you guys should all buy Christian's book Ghost Engine it's great (laughs) book of short stories Thanks.